So for prayer time today, I'd like to do something a little different. This is a strange year, and to watch a, a video where all the children are in school with masks on is a very different idea. To sit here in church with us masked up is a very different time for us. If there's ever time when we need to seek God and pray for his protection, it's now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, first of all, if you are a student heading back to school, would you please stand up? Now let's pray for these students. Heavenly Father, as we look around this room and as we see so many students, children, teenagers standing in our midst, we recognize, Lord, that this year is going to be very different than years in the past, and we so long for things to just be normal again. God, is it possible for us to see these changes as not just bad things, but also as opportunities. Is it possible, Lord, that we can go into this school year and trust in you? It is possible. And now, Lord, I ask that you would protect these students that are standing in our midst and protect the students that are at home right now listening to this video. God, we ask that you would guide their steps that you would help them to see the next step on the path and that you would protect them. God, we also ask that this year would not be a lost year, but that it would be a year of learning. God, can you help us focus on the advantages instead of dwelling on the disadvantages that we are facing this year? And God, even as these students are standing here listening to this prayer, May they pray also in their hearts that they would be prepared to learn that even though things are different, that they would be ready to face this challenge. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And now I would ask, if there are teachers with us, would the teachers please stand? and coaches, and administrators, and school board members, and the staff in the school, paraprofessionals, bus drivers, who did I miss? Homeschoolers, homeschool teachers, that counts. You betcha. Did I get everybody? And now I want to pray for you. Lord God, as we stand in the midst of these people who are going to a job that is, well, it's dangerous under normal circumstances, most of us would be hesitant to do what these people do. It is difficult. There's pressure. There's politics. There are difficulties with students Lord God, these people are worthy of our honor and we recognize them in this moment as those who are putting their health on the line to do what they have been called to do. And I do believe teaching is a calling. 
And these people who are teaching, these people who are administrating, who are working with students, these, these people in our midst, who are doing what they feel like you have told them to do, Lord, I pray a blessing upon them. God, it is my prayer that the anxiety that they feel about this year, these strange teaching plans, these groups of students that you don't know if they're going to listen or not, or how much, Lord, are, is there going to have to be policing instead of teaching? Lord, I pray that that anxiety would turn to peace. I pray that frustration would turn to learning. I pray that stress would turn to flexibility. I would ask that challenges faced would turn to opportunities for new and different kinds of learning. I pray for this year to be better than years before, not just a survival mode. God, I pray that this, these challenges would bring our communities together, that our communities would recognize the sacrifice that our teachers and administrators and staff and coaches and bus drivers the, the things that they are sacrificing, Lord, to make this happen, I would ask that they would recognize that our community is behind you. That we are behind you in the name of the Lord. And we would ask, Lord, that you would make a way where we don't see a way. Thank you for these people who are standing in our midst. We thank you, God, for them. And we stand behind them. We stand with them. We support them in their high calling. Thank you, God. Protect us, but not just protect us, Lord. This risk that we face, may it turn into an opportunity and into an even greater year than we've ever had before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. There are so many people putting their lives on the line in a year like no other. And whether you think COVID-19 is a hoax or, whether, or, or not, it's still different, and there is a danger that we have not faced before. Thank you for your service. And now as we go into a time of prayer, I would ask that you would stand, all of you, as we pray for our leaders, as we also remember those in our midst who are struggling, who are dealing with all kinds of stuff. We remember especially this morning the Rock family. Andy Rock lost his mother this week to a courageous fight with cancer. The service will be here at the church on Wednesday. I will not be presiding uh, because the Rock family, um, Andy's mom and dad, go to the church in Wadena, but this is the right facility for that. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for life. Thank you, Lord that you are God in the good times, in the bad times, in the happy times, and in the times when we mourn. I thank you for the rocks. I thank you for a life well lived. Lord God, I, I pray for this week, for Andy and Amy and for the boys, as they remember, as they mourn. We pray for their family. Be here, Lord, this week. And God, as we think about our nation, and as we prayed for our students and our teachers and faculty and staff, God, we also pray for our leaders. Please be with President Trump and Vice President Pence as they navigate this strange time leading our nation, but also 
going through the political election process, Lord, it is difficult for me to even comprehend the stress that is on those men. May they turn their anxiety into your peace, and may they lead well. Lord, we pray for the entire election process. We pray for the candidates um, all around in this election. We pray for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. May they be honorable. May they turn to you and seek your face in all that they do. Lord God, may this election cycle that has been so divisive, is this asking for a miracle, Lord, but that somehow the division would turn to unity in our country. Somehow we could unite together. And God, is this asking for too much? That somehow, even in the middle of all of this racial unrest and political division, all of this hatred that is seemingly everywhere around us, is it a miracle to ask that our country would bend their knee to you, Lord God? We ask for it. We ask for repentance. We ask for revival in our nation. We ask for unity. Hmm. Seems like an impossible thing to ask for. And yet, you are God of the possible. We pray for our leaders, Lord, in the state of Minnesota, Governor Walls. We pray, Lord, for our legislature, le legislators and our Supreme Court justices. God, for the leaders of the Church of God, for the leaders of our town for the leaders of this church as we go into a board meeting. Lord God, thank you for all you've given us. You have given us so much. It is easy for us in these times of uncertainty to forget the blessings that you have given us. They are many. Thank you, God, for all of it. We pray these things in your powerful name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 8. Last Sunday, we looked at a very short section of the book of Luke, only five verses. This morning, we're going to look at a much larger section of Scripture. In fact, we're going to get all the way to the end of chapter 8 today, from verse 22 all the way to 56. To cover such a large portion of Scripture in a short time will we'll require careful attention to the voice of God in our time today. So, let's pray and invite him here. Holy Spirit, we do invite you into this place. We know that you are here. You are everywhere. You are omnipresent. And yet, God, we invite you here in a special way. We open our hearts to you now in this moment. Holy Spirit, speak to the very core of our being. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, help us to understand your word. Holy Spirit, be here in power. Amen. Well, before we dig into our section of Luke for today, I, I think we need to pause and reflect just for a moment on the larger section of scripture that we have been working through carefully. There is a primary question that Luke is attempting to answer in this section of Scripture. 
from all the way back in chapter 4, Luke has been following the ministry of Jesus in his home region of Galilee. So up until this point in the, in the story of Luke, and still in this point, Jesus has kind of been staying in his home area, his home area of Galilee. Luke has been telling his audience, his Gentile readers, that's us. Luke has been telling us about the teaching of Jesus. And every time Jesus shares a teaching in Luke, Luke follows up his teaching with examples of Jesus' teaching in action in the world, the real world. And all of this is meant to answer just one question. Just one question. Who is Jesus? Now today we're going to look at three accounts, three stories. And these three stories, they're meant to give us a significant answer to this very important question. Who is Jesus? And it is no mistake that these three accounts are very purposefully designed to follow the parable of the sower. Remember, for the last two Sundays, we've looked at the parable of the sower, that teaching of Jesus. And now Luke follows his pattern, the teaching of Jesus followed by the teaching put into action in real life. What does this mean in real life? What does the word of God being sown in people's hearts mean? What does it look like? And what does it mean, this, this teaching of Jesus, if Jesus doesn't have the authority to say these things? Well, we're about to find out whether he does or does not have the authority to teach. So as I read you these stories today, it is my hope that God's word becomes alive to you. I want you to use your imagination and build a picture in your mind of the words that I read to you. My sermon today is going to be much less about me explaining things to you and much more about you simply experiencing the power of these stories. So as we read together, I want you to remember that one question that Luke is so carefully crafting an answer to. Who is Jesus. So let's experience God's word together. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Did you picture that in your mind? Did you picture the disciples getting into that boat that night? And of course, the Sea of Galilee, it's really a lake, but it's a large lake. It's not as big as like a Lake Superior, but it is large. It's large enough where it's difficult to see the other side. Is that true? You guys have been there. So when you look at this Sea of Galilee, all you see is water. You don't see the land on the other side. 
It's big. It's a big lake. And also, this particular lake, it's, it's actually very low. It's, it's, it's lower than sea level. And so all around the lake are hills. And so it's, it happens, it still happens today. When cold air hits the warm air, it goes like this and it creates storms that happen on the lake. These storms that are happening in this story still happen today. They are, and they can be, quite violent storms. Did you hear it, though? The disciples, they said the right question. They said the key question when this event happened. Who is this? In verse 25, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? By the way, could I suggest to you that this one question is the one question upon which all life hinges? This one question is the question upon which even all eternity hinges. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Now, if I were to ask most of you in this room, or even those watching online, who is Jesus, what would you say? Now, I'm guessing that you would give a whole bunch of very churchy answers. You, you would give maybe Sunday school answers. But I, I want us to just wait now, and I want us to answer this question just from this one story. If this one story was all you had about Jesus, this one story, so if you read this one story, and I asked you the question, who is Jesus? What would be your answer to that question from this one story? Now consider, consider the fact that a large portion of the men on this boat were professional fishermen. And these professional fishermen had spent their entire lives fishing on this one lake. So you've got professional fishermen, a whole group of them, who had spent their entire careers, their entire lives, doing basically nothing except fishing on this one lake. They knew this lake. They understood the storms. Undoubtedly, these men had been in a storm like this before. Now, you could make an argument that this group of men Live, that are on this boat, living their whole life on this lake, you could make an argument that there is no one else in the entire world alive, living at this time, that would be better equipped to face that storm. No one in the whole world would be better able to face that storm than these men. And yet, these men were brought to complete despair in this moment. Consider their words. Look at verse 24. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're, go we're all going to drown. We're all going to drown. You got These were professional fishermen who had gotten to the point where they were willing to say, it's done. I mean, it's kind of funny to me that at this point they go and, and they, they want to wake up Jesus. It's almost like they wanted to wake up Jesus to say, Jesus, wake up because it's time to die. You better at least face your death standing up. 
It's, it, that, that's what this actually is. You see, I don't think they're waking up Jesus to calm the storm. They're waking up Jesus to face death. Why would they think at this point in the story? Remember, at this point in the story, what miracles has, has Jesus accomplished? Well, he's healed people. That's good. That's good. He did raise someone from a dead. That's good. He, he, raised, he, he healed someone from a distance. That's great. But what miracles of nature had Jesus done up to this point? Only one. In the disciples' experience of Jesus up to this point, only one miracle had they seen that was regarding nature. Do you remember which one it was? The miraculous catch of fish. The only miracle that the disciples had seen Jesus, Jesus accomplish over nature at this point was that Jesus said, put your net over there and you'll catch some fish. So they put their net over there and they caught a whole bunch of fish. That's it. So I don't think that the disciples were waking Jesus up to save them. I think the disciples were waking Jesus up so that he could face death with them. <laughs> And then Jesus tells the wind to stop blowing. He tells the wind to stop blowing. By the way, I've tried this. I've been on a boat in a storm. And this story came to mind and I tried it. And you know what happened? Nothing. Big surprise. Have you ever gone outside and seen a tornado coming in? If you were part of the Wadena tornado... Or if the tornado that came kind of close to Bertha 10 years ago. Have, have you ever gone out there and just went, be still? How'd that go? What do you expect the disciples would have done? Do you think they would have done? Do you think they would have said, well, we got Jesus, so we're good. And then Jesus, what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say in verse 25? Where's your faith? That's unfair. <laughs> that is a totally unfair question for Jesus to say to his disciples. Where's your faith? That these guys were the best equipped in the whole world to survive this storm. And Jesus is like, wind be still. Well, where's your faith? Didn't you know? No, they didn't know. It's unfair. Well, I'm not, we kind of read this funny. See, we, we read this story because we know, as if the disciples knew the end of the story. Do you understand that? The disciples did not know the end of the story when this story happened. Okay, we got to read this in context. The disciples knew that Jesus was a miracle worker. They, they knew that stuff, but they didn't know he was going to be able to do this. So when Jesus says, where's your faith? That is an unfair question because they didn't know the whole story. But Jesus is saying, he says, where's your faith after he calms the storm? Do you understand what Jesus is doing here? He's challenging them to understand who he is. Imagine the story. Disciples are going to die. They go tell Jesus, Jesus, get up. We're going to die. Jesus gets up. <sighs> Be still. Where's your faith? Does he say it like that? Or does Jesus do this? Be still. Where is your faith? Jesus is inviting them to recognize who he is. And the disciples, they understand this. They, they go, 
Who is this? Actually, they went to themselves. Like, can you imagine if that happened? The disciples were like, who is this? Only God can do that. And now, the answer. Using only this story, here's the answer to the question, who is this? Okay? Using only this story, here's the answer. Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over nature. If you only had this story, that's what you would say. Who is, who is this? Who is Jesus? He is one who has unbelievable power over nature. And now the next story. Starting in verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me! For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to, not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting in, at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Well, that is a strange story. By the way, the region of the Gerasenes, we're not exactly sure where it is, but if you ever listen to the news and you hear about the Golan Heights, this is the, this is the region of the Golan Heights. It's a disputed reason, region today in Israel, and it's been disputed since the time of Jesus. The Gerasenes, the Golan Heights. What a strange story. Can you imagine now, have you, did you imagine that you were one of the disciples on the boat? So the night before, you thought you were going to die, Jesus calms the storm right? And you're going, who is this guy? Right? Then you get, as soon as you step on shore, okay, a crazy, naked, demon-possessed guy greets you. 
I mean, think about that for a second. If I'm a disciple, I'm like, I'm going to give a really poor Yelp reveal to this place because this is bad, right? I do not want anything to do with this place. A crazy, naked, chain-breaking, demon-possessed guy shows up screaming, Ah! Just think about that. Don't throw us into the abyss, Jesus. Don't do it. If you're a disciple, aren't you like, maybe we should get back on the boat. <laughs> this, is, this is not the place I want to be. I told you these people over here are crazy. These people on the other side of the lake, you can't trust these people. They're like Wisconsin people. You can't trust them. I, I know that that's what they said, right? I have relatives in Wisconsin, just saying. All right. So, What's going on in this passage of Scripture? What are we to make of this? There are so many unanswered questions in this story. And by the way, we simply don't have a lot of these answers, even today. We have been looking at this story for thousands of years, and we still today are like, I don't know what's going on in most of this. I mean, think about some of these questions. How is this guy strong enough to break chains with his bare hands? I don't know. Why did the demons think Jesus was going to torture them? I don't know. What's up with the pigs? I don't know. Why did the pigs have to die? The poor pigs? I don't know. Wait a second. What are the implications of the fact that animals can have demons in them? I don't know. I don't know. Yikes. And by the way, me saying I don't know, that's like 2,000 years of scholarly I don't know. Like when you read the commentary and try to find answers to those questions, that's the answer you get. It could be this, 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 or this, but here's the answer. I don't know. That's the answer to those questions. We don't know. And if anybody tries to come and tell you, I know exactly why there was pigs and blah, blah, blah. They don't know either. Okay? I do not trust a pastor who goes and says, I know for sure what nobody else knows. Think about that for a second. And by the way, there's lots of pastors on the radio saying that. Okay? I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen in the end times. You don't know, sir or ma'am. So stop acting like you do. You can say, I think it could be this based upon this passage of scripture. Okay, now let's have a conversation. But don't tell me you know when you don't. I try very hard not to tell you stuff like that. I try very hard to say when I don't know. Okay, so what in the world do we get out of this story? I mean, we just don't know the answers to a lot of these questions. And by the way, someday we're going to know the answer to these questions. Someday we're going to see clearly when right now we don't see clearly. By the way, these are, these are the things that Luke was trying to tell us about Jesus, remember? Remember, the question we are trying to answer is... Who is Jesus? Let me tell you a question we're not trying to answer. We are not trying to answer how demons affect the migratory patterns of herds of pigs. Can I, can I just be clear about this? Because lots of times, pastors and Christians try to get an answer from Scripture that isn't a question that's being asked. Did you hear that? Sometimes we go to scripture and we try to find an answer from a piece of scripture to a question that that piece of scripture is not answering. That's a problem. 
Because if you go to this section of scripture and you try to figure out how demons affect pigs, you're going to get off track. Do you see that? People do this all the time. They try to have a passage of scripture answer a question that that passage is not trying to answer. That is called another way of reading a passage out of context. Except this time, remember I talked to you about context last week. You remember the verse from Ecclesiastes? None of you used that verse, right? In a way that was out of context this week, right? Remember that? Good. You don't remember anything I'm saying. It's all just lost. That's the one with the right and the left. You remember that? All right. We're just, we're going to have to do something different here. Do, do you guys need a stretch break? I'm not sure what's going on. Do the people at home, do you guys need to, to like take a moment, go get like a Danish or something? You can eat at home. That's great. We can't eat here. All right. Hang with me. This is good stuff. Hang with me. What is the question that Luke is answering in this passage? Who is Jesus? So we don't need to spend a bunch of time talking about the pigs. We need to figure out who Jesus is. How exactly does this story help us answer that question? Now, once again, I want you to think. If this story were the only story that you'd heard about Jesus, and then after you heard this story, I asked you, who is Jesus? What would the answer be? The answer, using only this story, Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over evil demonic forces. That's the answer, using only this story. Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over evil demonic forces. Now, there's much more to understand in this story. I'm going to save that for the end, and we're going to move on to the next story. Look at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately the, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the uh, people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were waiting and mourning for her. 
Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. Under exaggeration of the year right there. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Well, as you can imagine, the pig incident created quite a stir. And the crowds were stirred up exceedingly. And Jesus had created a huge movement now because people were beginning to also ask, who is this? Who is this that calms a storm? Who is this that controls demons? Who is this that heals people? Who is this? And the crowds, they were crowding around. And Jesus was doing something unexpected. He, every time he turned around, he did something unexpected. You know, was it such a big deal that this woman came up and touched Jesus? Why was it such a big deal? Well, as if you've read the Old Testament, you know that there are these cleanliness laws in the Old Testament, especially in Leviticus. You look at these, a lot of us today look at these laws and we go, what is going on with all these laws? You can eat that, you can't eat that. You can touch this, you can't touch that. What in the world was all that about? Was that just stupid? I mean, but how could it be stupid? Because God told the Israelites that they had to be careful of these things. What was the deal with all of these laws, these, these cleanliness laws that seem to have no effect on us today. And by the way, they don't have an effect on us today. They're part of the old covenant. So wh why, why all these laws? Well, let's think about this for a second. Do you know when soap was invented? Anybody know when soap was invented? Anybody at all? Soap, you know, hand soap. Wash your, clean your body. Hand soap. The Middle Ages. Yeah. Soap was invented a thousand years after Jesus. Soap. So, when you washed your hands at the time of Jesus, you didn't use soap. When you took a bath, you didn't use soap. You just used water. Also, at the time of Jesus, nobody knew anything about germs. And before Jesus, of course, the Old Testament times, there was no such thing as germs. We didn't even know about germs until a couple hundred years ago. So think about this. If there's no soap, and you don't understand that there's germs, what do you do to keep everybody from getting sick? You don't touch people that are sick. You don't be around people that are sick because it's how you keep from getting sick. The entire uncleanliness laws of the Old Testament is social distancing. I have rarely in my life been able to explain this more easily than this moment. It's why there were laws in the Old Testament. Well, why don't you eat pigs in the Old Testament? Because pigs eat everything. If there's going to be an animal that carries a disease, it's a pig. 
They eat everything. If you've ever raised pigs, you know pigs are not picky. Pigs will eat other pigs. Pigs will eat poop. Pigs eat everything. Pigs are spreaders of disease. It's why Jews didn't eat pigs. Now think about this. If you've got leprosy, you know what happens? You know how leprosy spreads? You touch someone who's got leprosy. So, Old Testament laws, avoid people with leprosy. You know why? Because they didn't have soap. It was God protecting his people. Oh, that makes more sense now. There are laws in the Old Testament about don't touch people who have blood that doesn't stop flowing. Do you know why? Because when you touch people that has blood that doesn't stop flowing, you pretty soon have blood that doesn't stop flowing. That's why. And yet, Jesus. Oh, by the way, do you know what happens to bodies when they die? And if you don't have soap, do you think you've got formaldehyde? Do you know what happens to bodies when they die? They decompose. Do you know what happens when bodies decompose and you touch them? You get disease. That's what happens. That's why the Old Testament laws of cleanliness are in there. Jesus is touched by a woman who has uncontrollable bleeding. And then he purposely goes to the girl that has been dead and touches her. Jesus has made himself unclean. And do you know uncleanliness? What happens in the Jewish system when you're unclean? You have to separate yourself away from everybody for a little while. That's called quarantine. Do you understand this? It makes sense. But Jesus went into these places where the uncleanliness was and he purified them. That's what Jesus did. And he, he didn't seek it out with the woman, but the power went out. But he did seek it out with Jairus' daughter and the power went out. You guys. <laughs> Jesus brings health where there is sickness. Jesus brings cleanliness where there is uncleanliness. Jesus is the great purifier. If you had only this story, this story of Jesus with the woman who had uncontrollable bleeding, and Jesus with Jairus, Jairus his daughter, raising from the dead, and I asked you, who is Jesus? What would the answer be? Just using this story. Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over life. Power to make the sick well and even power to bring the dead back to life. And so... Now you've heard, you've experienced these three stories. Now listen to these, these three answers together to that question, who is Jesus? Listen. 
Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over nature. Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over evil demonic forces. Jesus is one who has unbelievable power over life. Who is Jesus? Put it in one word. Power. And now, one final note that will tie these stories together, I hope in a way that you've never thought of before, but you will never forget. I want to tie these stories together. I'm going to read four verses from each of these stories, and I want you to, to look at the connection. Luke 8, 23. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And now Luke, verse 28, 28. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And now verse 43. And the woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. And now verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Do you see what ties these stories together? It's this thread that connects these stories together. It's the thread of people who have lost all hope. They had run out of answers. They had tried everything. All their efforts, even their best efforts, had failed. Every story shows people who had tried everything and had failed completely. The best fishermen in the world were about to drown in their home lake. The townspeople who used the strongest chains and even put the man under guard. The man broke the chains. They couldn't keep him under wraps at all. They had tried everything. The woman had sought all the doctors. And by the way, we know from the story, the parallel story in Luke, she had spent all her money. Everything she had to stop the bleeding. No one could help her. She was at the end of her rope, not even Mayo Clinic. And Jairus' daughter, who had been only sick, is now dead. And we know the time for healing had passed. The thread connecting these three stories, these four stories, is that the people had tried everything and had failed. Who is Jesus? Because these people who had tried everything and had failed into their failure, into their hopelessness, into the darkness of their moment, into the place where they could do nothing else. Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the one who has more power than the storm. He is the one that can... Stop the unstoppable demons. 
He is the one who can bring healing when there's no healing left. He is the one who can even bring life from death. Do you believe in Jesus? And now I ask you, who is Jesus? Sometimes I think all of the information in our whole life we know about Jesus gets in the way of asking this simple question. Who is Jesus? Do you actually believe that Jesus has power over nature? Do you actually believe that Jesus has power over demons? Do you actually believe that Jesus has power over sickness? Do you actually believe that Jesus has power over death itself? I have seen people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol and they cannot stop. They cannot stop. They have given everything they have. They've done everything they know. And they get to a point when they don't have the power to stop. And I've seen those people find Jesus and change everything. What about you? What is that thing that you have placed every resource in and you are at the end? What is that thing that you can't try any harder? You've tried everything. What is that thing? Because I look around and I see a whole country of people who are paralyzed in the anxiety of this moment. And that paralysis looks like a lot of different things. For some people, it's to back away from everybody. That's not necessarily the wrong response. For some people, it's to charge forward and be angry at everybody. Sometimes that's the right response. But I'm telling you, we are not responding out of an understanding of who Jesus is most of the time. Drug addiction, alcohol, pornography, anxiety, depression, marriage problems, financial problems, COVID-19, racial unrest. When are we going to apply the only solution to fix impossible problems? As a country, and I'm not just saying that to us sitting here and to you at home. I'm not just saying that to this group. When are we as a country going to apply the only solution to impossible problems? The only solution to impossible problems is Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the solution to impossible problems. I am not ashamed to pray for school board members and for principals and for superintendents and for teachers and for students. I'm not ashamed to pray for our president. I'm not ashamed to pray for candidates for president. I'm not ashamed to pray for people I disagree with. I'm not ashamed for pray, to pray for people I agree with. Because the answer to impossible problems is the power of Jesus Christ. Have you been applying this answer to impossible problems that you face? That's good news. You guys should be smiling, but I can't see you. I'm going to assume you're smiling right now. This is good news. Do you see the good news? The impossible problem. The marriage you think is gone. There's good news. The financial situation you can't get out of. There's good news. You have access to the one who controls storms with a word. 
Who is Jesus? Power. Thank you, Lord, for your power displayed to us when you became one of us and you lived among us and you showed us your power. Who are you, Jesus? (laughs) You are God. Do we really believe that? In this moment of unrest, in this moment of anxiety, in this moment of real danger. The danger to the disciples on that lake was real. The danger of the crazy demon-possessed guy was real. The danger of that woman dying from her bleeding was real. The danger of that, that young daughter being dead and remaining dead was real. All of those dangers are real. Do we believe? That you are stronger. May this church be a light of your word being displayed for our community that the power of Jesus is real and it's the answer to these problems that seem impossible. And so, once again, I ask for unity in this nation, unity over this. Election, unity over COVID-19 response, unity over the racial unrest in our country. Not a naive unity, a unity recognizing the real dangers, but recognizing even more that the real solution to these impossible problems is the power of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus, amen.